welcome back to the Second Row Podcast. My name is Porrick Kelly, and as always, I'm joined by Ushin Collins to discuss the weekend's rugby. Hello, Porrick. Another Dublin record. Yeah, I'm up here for the weekend once again. And Have to be on. Final weekend's rugby, got to get the squad on the pitch. <laughs> exactly. And welcome back to all our loyal listeners and everyone that we've been picking up new over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, absolutely. We've uh, seen to picked up a few Australian listeners, so we're sorry. We'll try and keep the gloating to a minimum. I can't make the same promise. <laughs> So we'll start off with a bit of news, uh, then it's straight into the chat about the Ireland-Australia test. Um, we'll cover the other weekend's games as well. Yeah, and obviously our crowned around and player of the series. Absolutely, so second row top performer goes series-wide this week. Exactly. So first up in the news, I guess, the, the Irish women's rugby saga continues to unfold and David Nusifora has waded you know, shoulder deep into it this week. Yeah, and like I read his interview and, and for me personally, what he said is isn't good enough like really just really isn't good enough having the focus on the women's game as a whole and not just the 15s and 7s has proven with the inability to go on this tour Hmm. that it's not working well i think if you talk about the prioritization i mean a lot of the lines where you know we're focusing on sevens at the moment and therefore we didn't want to take summer 15s on there's an overlap of players and resources but i mean if if we took the same approach with the men's game then would jacob stockdale be preparing for San Francisco for the Rugby Sevens World Cup rather than down in Australia. Like, I, I think you just need to accept whether we're taking the game seriously. You know, at a women's level, it's not professionalized, so it's not funded the same way. Um, I think support has been increasing over the last couple of years, and some of the Irish broadcasters have done really well in terms of getting that coverage out there and, and making sure that there's a bit more visibility. But, you know, are we serious about women's rugby in this country? Yes or no. If we are, get a proper 15 set up. You can't turn down opportunities like this. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, it's it's things like not consulting the players. And, you know, when players are professional, that makes sense because mm. you employ them. They you they go where you tell them to go. Yeah. People in an amateur setup, like, they want to play more games. You need to have a constant dialogue with them. Yeah. I mean, look, without kind of going down a rabbit hole, let's see what this, you know, secret review strategy thing turns up in September. That's going to be really interesting. Uh, but I'd expect there to be some some pretty important commitments being made if, if we're going to be, you know, contenders in, in the women's game. Yeah, apparently that review's already done. Like, and every, like it's being, it's being like um, reviewed again. But like for me, secret plan is secret. It's a complete load of BS. Yeah, no, that's fair. The other big news this week is that the pools for the Heineken Cup, which is called the Heineken Cup again, and the Challenge Cup, which I presume we just go back to calling the Parker Pen Shield. No, Challenge Cup still is so much better than whatever they were calling it. <laughs> But uh, interesting groups, a lot of interest from the Irish perspective. So Leinster have drawn Wasps, Toulouse and Bath, which should produce a couple of really good fixtures. Yeah. Munster are cast Exeter and Gloucester, which is, again, not a bad draw. And then Ulster have got Scarlets, Rassing and Leicester, which uh, is about the toughest pool they could have drawn. No, I think they could have done worse, honestly. like they really. I think all Irish provinces in the Champions Cup could have done worse. And I know, in a re- and weirdly, in a relative sense, I think Connacht had the the harder pull in the Challenge Cup, given who they've drawn. Yeah, I mean, Sale are a serious team. Yeah. Bordeaux probably beatable, um, but Perpignan interesting. I know that there won't be any newspaper headlines coming from that match whatsoever. No, I think it'll be a pretty low key affair. Yeah, no, nothing to talk about there whatsoever. Yep. But seriously, there is literally more chance of me or you playing for Perpignan in Ireland. Then Paddy Jackson. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the uh, discretion might be the better part of Valor there. No, I just think if he's hit their starting 10, they won't play him away from home. Mm. In, yeah. a, in a competition, they won't really want to do well in. That's not, not a bad shout, actually. Mm. 
the other big news this week was Ross Moriarty, the incident we spoke about last week. Uh, only got a four week ban. It's just it's just ridiculous. Like it's just completely ridiculous. Yeah, like I mean, there was no malice in it, but what I think was interesting, um, I was reading the the report from the disciplinary committee, and Sanchez was like, "Yeah, he wasn't actually hurting me that much." <laughs> so I think fair play from to Sanchez. He's he's obviously not kind of going out and whining about this to the to the disciplinary guys to try and get another player banned, which was kind of nice. Yeah, I know what you mean, but it also comes on Falls red card being rescinded. You're like, come on, can there just be? Is there any chance anybody knows what's going on? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like at least. Even you got red card and tag, and they they backed the ref. <laughs> yeah, but to be fair, I mostly just got red carded for being cheeky and a bit of an ass. So being you, yeah, precisely <laughs> <laughs> proof that tag rugby backs its refs, even no matter how poor they are, more than world rugby. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, small match to talk about now. Yeah, onto the onto the big one, like into Sydney, into the Allianz Stadium, a nice evening game down there. But uh, the Irish team barely made it to the stadium on time. Oh, like seriously, like is there a conspiracy with bus companies in foreign countries not getting us to stadiums on time? First Murrayfield and now Sydney. I can't imagine Joe was particularly pleased about that. Like I bet you it's the same driver wearing a moustache and glasses. <laughs> yeah, somebody's gone around. This conspiracy theory is true. <laughs> Given all the chat about conspiracy from from some of the coaching staff in this game, like I, I think just. Let's dial it back and actually talk about the rugby. <laughs> exactly. Huge well, result, though. Yeah, huge result. First series win in Australia in 37 years. Like, is this the best ever year for Irish rugby in the modern game? I kind of think, if you look at all the achievements that have happened in Irish rugby in the last in the last season, from starting with the victory versus South Africa at home, mm-hmm. and then you go into cr- club rugby, there's the Champions Cup win for Leinster, the Pro 14 win, Ireland won the Grand Slam, a victory in the Summer Series. Like, plus you look at all the players who we've unearthed in that period of time. Yeah, like there was no James Ryan twelve months ago. There wasn't really a Dan Levy twelve months ago. There wasn't a Jordan Larmore twelve months ago. Like, it's, it's in all fairness, you can't blame Dan Levy for that. He's had a Van der Fleer and a Sean O'Brien ahead of him. Yeah, but I think over the course of twelve months to have built the depth we have and built out that depth again, to have won the trophies that we've won, to have had the winning record, like clean sweep in November. And like, I just think, you know, obviously it's missing that uh, that crucial victory over the men in black, but still a pretty good year. We'll do that next season. Okay. Well, fair no, enough. We'll do that. Then roll it into the World Cup. We made that win so hard on ourselves. Yeah. If you look at the Irish team and their ability to convert possession into points, how many times did we visit the Australian 22 and come away with nothing? For me, it's not even the visits to 22 and not coming away with points. It's being camped on their five meter line for the guts of five to 10 minutes and coming away with nothing. Like trips to 22, you, can, you might get a penalty, but when you're that close to the line, you've got to be getting over. Like one try out of this game and three tries out of the series, that's not the type of scoring record that you know gets to World Cup semifinals, that wins Rugby World Cups. No. And those have to be the targets we're setting. Definitely. Like, this team is rightfully second in the world. Yep. They need to be in a World Cup final next September. Yep. No question. And that means having a bit more nous, having a bit more the clinical edge at the try line. Yeah. And I think there was an element of that because the game was a little bit disrupted. Obviously, both teams losing their captains um, so early in the match was a factor. But you still expect an Irish team to be able to convert more. And it's been a problem over the course of the series, not just this last game. 
it's one of the things that people can and should be using as the only real criticism of the Irish team. This isn't a this series thing. This happens every now and again where we're on the try line and it's like one out runner, one out runner, one out runner, one out runner. So the the worst example of this from an international team was that kind of Wales under Gatlin maybe three, four years ago. Yeah. Where exactly the same against Australia. They were camped on the line and they just couldn't get over. And I think we have a little bit more creativity than that, but we just didn't really show it yesterday. Yeah. In the same position, Australia in the second half, literally you could see their back line running left at the rock, running right at the rock, and just creating misdirection. And they got a try from it. And They did. I mean, they also got a try because, you know, Rob Kearney was a revolving door in that tackle true like how good was Johnny Sexton to even actually hold him back as much as he did it was great and I mean we'll probably talk about it later but Sexton was a warrior yesterday I mean for yeah. me I, I had him down as man in the match his tackle count was incredible particularly given the amount of punishment he was getting from the Australian back row yeah and for me that penalty he took to win the game effectively mm. like come with the man come with the Johnny Sexton that's probably not what that is <laughs> um, come with the hour come with the Johnny Sexton that's probably what that is <laughs> Oh, man. But, like, I, I guess what was a little bit different from the previous weeks, both teams managed their yellow cards very effectively rather than just Ireland being able to do that. Yeah. Like, you didn't really notice when we were down to 14 that we were missing a player. We were controlling the ball, holding possession, walking super slowly to the line-out. Um, but, like, that's that's the point. That's what, what you do. Someone hadn't put the game on half speed for when we were walking for those things. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> But um, the Australians obviously learned from last week where they were kind of pretty badly exposed when they went down to 14 men. Um, and Barr, kind of one of those... This, this penalty keeps happening, this accidental offside penalty. And it just it's a complete lottery. Like, Lions' final match happened, wasn't awarded. New Zealand match happened, was awarded. This time, um, Dane Hedepetti caught it, knocked it on to Karevi, who was in front of him, who caught it. Penalty. And so it's a soft penalty. It's so funny because you see him looking around going, what do I do? Yeah, but it's just, it's instinct. Rugby, catch ball. Yeah. But it doesn't help that your own player knocked it onto you. Exactly. But that's just the lottery of these things. Absolutely. Well, what we saw in the game, though, was, you know, despite the level of complaining about it, some some really good, really physical hits going in. Uh, like, this has been a really good series. For me, the great thing about this series, one, it's been played in a really good spirit. Like, it hasn't been a dirty series. There's been no real niggle yeah. that's had an effect on the outcome. And it's been hard-hitting, physical, and it's just proven. And in the most part, without lines being crossed. Yeah, and I mean, like, that's what I mean. And it's proven that you can have a hard physical game legally. Yeah. Now, where that obviously didn't happen, and I mean, I'm, I'm just a bit sore about this, because when anybody goes after, like, A, Peter Romani as a monster player, as your captain, I just think it's really cynical. And the level of denial from the likes of Jekka and some of the, the forums on Twitter about, particularly like listening to Shane Horgan blaming CJ Stander and Peter O'Mahony for it yesterday when Israel Falau is clearly pulling him down out of the air. It, it's a yellow card all day. And I think if you looked at the three incidents cumulatively, it could have been a red card. Yeah, like actually some of the earlier ones were worse for me once I, once I watched them back. He was going up to win the ball, yes, but the second he didn't, he was going to get his hands all over Peter O'Mahony, which, i got to say, is really weird given Falau's issues. <laughs> given Falau's positions on handling men. Yeah, yeah you know. Uh, look, I mean, the other thing that really killed me, and it was, it, I just think this was a more cynical, again, not not vicious or anything, but when Ireland were camped right under the post and Conor Murray tried to score the try against the base of the post, there was two Australian players in an offside position blocking that from happening. Yeah. 
it's not a yellow card incident for me but it is a penalty try definitely and like if we get the penalty try at that point that's game over yeah like we would have gone two tries up at that stage yeah and you know it would be no more than we deserve for what we'd done till then but that was the catalyst to get australia back into the game effectively in a big way yeah and i think they played really well in that second half uh you look at it and i think if they'd been able to maintain their level of performance across the three games and even across the 80 minutes this week then they they probably win this yeah. but we just have that ability to operate at that high intensity for a longer period of time yeah and, and grind out wins and we weren't as good this week as we were last week no absolutely not last week was a special performance and yeah. this week we did enough and when you do enough that means you deserve to win hmm. so again how did we get that win what are the strengths of this irish side looking back for me the irish team have a great mentality like we were just talking about there the ability to grind out a win is incredible they just don't know they're beaten. No. And there's some players who've only lost once, so they really don't know they're beaten. <laughs> I still I still love the idea of that first week. James Ryan is like, and where do I go now? What's happened? <laughs> I don't understand. Uh, but the other thing I think was, was good, part of that grinding it out is having that heavy ball carriers and being able to hold onto the ball for as long as we did in Test 2. Yeah, and especially against a team like Australia who are groundhogs and turnover ball like no one else. Yep. And to hold on to the ball as well as we did and to control our own possession as well as we did, it was the winning of the series. Yeah, and then what we chose to do with it, particularly when we have our first choice on, like our kicking game this week was an awful lot better coming out of Johnny Sexton. Yeah, Johnny Sexton is the best 10 in World Rugby at the moment. I think he has the best all-around game. Controversial. Oh, <laughs> uh, look, 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 it's either it's him and Bowden Barrett, yeah. you know, and... The chances they have to come up against each other are rare. So we can't judge them up, up against each other. No, that's fair. But we can judge Johnny Sexton on what he's done over the course of the season. I see more of him. I see a Bowden Barrett. You see more Bowden Barrett than I do. Yeah. Like, you can tell me how wrong I am. But I just think Johnny brings more from a leadership perspective well, as he's, well. He's like having a, a coach on the pitch. Like, that that ruck that you mentioned where Australia were bringing their back line to the left and to the right, you could see Sexton standing directly behind the Irish ruck, barking out orders and moving the defensive line around. Like he's like a little mini Joe Schmidt, Andy Farrell, you know, crossover on the pitch. Like imagine if he actually goes into coaching when he retires. I think he will. I think it's a natural enough segue. But when is he going to retire now at the age of 48, having won three World Cups? What's the latest Johnny Sexton retirement plan that he's come out with? <laughs> Not the Tom Brady of rugby. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing that we've really built over the course of this year, and I alluded to it earlier, our depth in key positions is is excellent. Like, look at players who are coming back into the Irish system or have come in this year. It now looks like there's competition for nearly every jersey. Yeah, I know. Tyke Byrne came on yesterday and he really made a positive impact. Um, Worked really hard. And that's what you want from your bench, you know? Carried well, actually. Yeah. And then Larmer came on for Rob Kearney. And he had a standout performance. Like, yeah. well, for me, his biggest moment was that car- that catch under that, pressure. Uh, four minutes left to go, Falau running down your throat. Like, our blockers hadn't worked for that one. Nope. And he got up, got the ball. Not only did he get up, get the ball, he presented it perfectly on the ground. Yeah. Which is one of the big strengths of Kearney's game. So you don't want to lose that with a, with a replacement. But I I can see Larmore putting pressure on, on that 15 jersey at Leinster and Ireland next year. And I... I personally can't fathom how no one's done it in the last four years. You're just not a fan. It's not that I'm not a fan. He is a good player, but he doesn't offer enough in terms of international rugby anymore. Good but limited. Yeah, and for Ireland, good but limited isn't good enough. True, but probably one of the biggest gaps that we have, and it talks to that depth as well, 
this wasn't a tour for building out our halfback options, was it? No, and like we have halfback options. We we do. Like Car Carby started the first test. Brilliant. That was the end of the experiment. Yeah, because he came on a second row in the second test. <laughs> Just avoided the line out, luckily. <laughs> so I think we're going to see that experimentation in November. But you're talking about when are we going to see the likes of Luke McGrath, the likes of John Cooney, the likes of Joey Carberry, other than at club level, are they going to get test experience ahead of the World Cup? Like you, you got to look at the, what, the nine games-ish we have left between now and the World Cup. How many of those are going to be Sexton and Murray? And how many of them need to not be? I have a big bugbear this, and you've done it to me right there. You've disregarded Marmion in the full conversation when it comes to nines, and he started England winning the Six Nations. I, I have a, I, I have a, a blind spot when it comes to Marmion. You and the rest of the Irish media. <laughs> like <laughs> Joe Schmidt. Yeah. It's just ridiculous at this stage, and I can really see the November series, Carberry and another nine playing three matches, and Johnny and Murray playing and, the New Zealand game. And that's actually the problem. People need to play inside Johnny Sexton and outside Connor Murray. That's how it's got to work. Yeah, so you nearly say pick one of our two starting halfbacks, as in either Murray or Sexton starts all those games, but not both of them. Yeah. And then get a bit of variation. Well, I I think given the travel to America for, one, for the Italian match, I think you're going to have either Murray and another for that one, mm. and then Sexton and another for the home game. And then you have the New Zealand match. And then the series ender, you see who's fit, effectively. Go from there. And then definitely the Six Nations, you know, Italy, Scotland. Maybe Wales. Maybe Wales, you've got to be mixing that up. Yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. But I think it is, you know, we've been in this position before whereby we're reliant on an individual player. Like, what happens if Brian O'Driscoll goes down? What happened in the Rugby World Cup in England when Paul O'Connell got injured on top of about 27 other injuries? There is a case that when you rely on particular players, you are exposed to risk. But at the same time, when they are world-class players, you don't necessarily always have a like-for-like replacement for them. This, the same is true if Bowden Barrett gets injured or Brody Vitalik gets injured for New Zealand. You know, there is a drop-off after that. No, there is. I, and I would never question there's a drop-off there. It would just be nice if the people it was dropping off to had got some game time. Yeah, like how untested they are is <laughs> a worry. It's, and it's not like the days of Ron O'Gara and Peter Stringer when there was literally no one of worth to put in. Yeah. Like we have four Irish qualified nines in all provinces. We have four Irish qualified tens in all provinces. These guys are playing top level rugby at a high standard. <laughs> the Jack Carty for the World Cup campaign starts here. No, <laughs> I'm not, I'm green-eyed, I'm not that green-eyed. <laughs> so what else do we need to be looking at? I mean, I think our our inability to score tries and convert those opportunities has got to be a worry. Yeah, and like we have spoken about that, but going forward, if that doesn't change, I can see teams just setting up defensively and like, all right, try and go through us. Yeah. Because France showed in the Six Nations that that, they, that don't work anymore. You've got to have a bit more to it than that. Yeah, we need to make sure that we have those game breakers. And I think part of that is you need to make sure that all of your players are rounded out. So we have a couple of really talented players who've had dips in aspects of their game over this tour. Yeah. Like Stockdale, brilliant going forwards, still has to learn about defensive positioning, defensive alignment and decision making. Yeah, there was a point early on in the match yesterday where he got turned in defence. I was like... <gasps> and you're worried when that happens. Yeah. Because there's only so many times you can cover back, you know. And like for me... Robbie Henshaw at 13 
isn't an option. No, I mean, you, you talk about who Ireland's first choice 13 is, and it's Gary Ringrose. Yeah. Our second choice 13 is Chris Farrell. Yeah. And after that, you need to start developing other options because I think Henshaw has demonstrated in the two tests that he's played there that he's not a fit for it. And he's not playing there at a provincial level, so why would he be? No, and like for me, across the series, Bundy has proven that he's actually a starting 12. He's been he's had a really good series and he had a particularly good game this weekend. Yeah, like I think he got hounded by the press and after Test One for no good reason. Well, ironically, given that Robbie Henshaw was the one missing every tackle presented to him. Yeah, but like you know, I'm pretty sure there's still a thing against Bundy in the press. Mm. The other thing you'd see is there's still a bit of changeover in terms of who our first choice uh, pack are. Yeah, like Jack McGrath probably improved his stock a little bit after a rough enough season, but. It'll be interesting to see how that unfolds, even at Leinster next year. Yeah, and we developed good depth at Hooker. You know, like for me, Scannell needs to be starting ahead of Marshall next season. Yeah, and I think he will be. Uh, like Munster very much have a, there's two hookers to do two different jobs type of approach. And it's just interesting. I think Scannell probably is the closest to best, not necessarily in terms of skill levels, but in terms of the way that he plays. Yeah. And he had a, a nervy start to this game, but then was, you know, was eating up yards and tackles for the rest of it. And interestingly, I saw him trying to get over the ball a lot um, once O'Mahony was gone off. So I think he was kind of deployed into that slow the ruck down fetcher mode. But like the fact that front your front row can do that is key. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll tell you what though, Australia, not the uh, shambles that they would have been six months ago. No, and themselves in South Africa are really getting their act together in the right time with eyes on the World Cup. When you look at the All Blacks are the same. They always manage to peak around the World Cup. And France are coming back into it. Australia very much are coming back into it. South Africa really are coming, yeah. are, are, are gone from a complete basket case to, you know, I mean, I'm actually really looking forward to the Rugby Championship in late August. I mean, that's going to be a cracker. The Razzie effect. The Razzie effect. <laughs> Still bitter. <laughs> always bitter. But I guess it's a key point. Like, that was a really, really good series. I think it was exciting it was engrossing and it was really close like aggregate score 55 all yeah that's unreal like you know thank christ we don't do the um old aussie international rules from when the ga and us really get together with aggregate score wins the series we'd have to play again oh no oh no another international okay (laughs) maybe we'll do it in perth (laughs) uh so other results for the weekend we finally got the game that the new zealand france series has been you know threatening to unleash on us New Zealand just scoring tons of points. Yeah, but it it being a good contest because it was a killer. Like losing the red, the red cards ruined those whether they were right or wrong or whatever. They did ruin the game. They ruined the first two games, and this was an absolute belter. And it was close at half time. It really was. And Parra going off injured really was a killer for France. It was like Anthony Bello is going to be a really good ten, but it helps when you've got one of the best nines in the world at controlling a game at marshalling a team inside you like he is the petty general of that team yeah and they missed him big time but like New Zealand the whole way through that game you could always tell they like they had another gear to click into yeah well even if you look at the sequence of the first two scores you know France had I think 80% of the possession for the first 10 or 12 minutes got over for a try New Zealand had the ball for two minutes got a try back yeah like they just can ramp it up when they need to and they can obliterate teams and we saw that in the second half. I mean, there was the unfortunate refereeing incident. Just as a public service announcement, I think I'd like to apologise on behalf of Ireland and the two of us, especially for John Lacey. Yep, absolutely. Like, through the letter of the law, it was the correct decision. But 
this is where you really need referees to just have a bit of empathy for what's going on in a game and acknowledge that if he's not running a blocking line on that try, it doesn't get scored. And you know, you could say empathy. I say a bit of cop on common sense. Yeah, that's all that took. Like, just do we'll just do the scrum again, lads. Yeah, yeah. And I think the French heads probably dropped a little bit after that, and then New Zealand showed exactly why they're so dangerous in the second half. And I guess another performance from Damien McKenzie that tells you why he's such a good rugby player, but not necessarily a great ten. Um, did much better this week. Obviously, wasn't thrown into it without the preparation. Yeah, but you know, his pace is electric. It's it's hilarious. You say that about McKenzie. I'm like, do you remember when everyone said that about Madigan <laughs> all the time? He he is like that though. He's kind of mercurial in that way. Um, South Africa, England, a bit of a bit of a damp squib, really. Yeah, like it was a dead rubber. England had to win that match just for one to salvage a bit of pride hmm. and Eddie Jones to keep his job. I'd say. I think possibly November would have been when he would have got the bullet <laughs> otherwise. But you could tell even from the minute the team sheets were announced for this, you know, no Andre Pollard, no Vili LaRue, and De Klerk didn't seem to have a great game. Yeah. So there's the control element gone, and South Africa looked so good when they looked so controlled. Yeah, I know. And they weren't going to get any control from Yankees anywhere. He's just, one of the things that kind of, South Africa went off a bit of a cliff, and part of that was they didn't know whether they wanted to play the classic South African way of playing, which is kind of like forward dominance, controlled backline. Um, with a bit of magic or whether they wanted to play the game that the Lions were playing in Super Rugby which was a game built around Elton Yankees but picking a team that's a South Africa team and Yankees a 10 just gives you it doesn't give you the best of both worlds like it gives you absolutely nothing and like for any Ulster fan that was given about well his move to Ulster being stopped watch this game you did not want him no I promise but yes England deserve winners Danny Cipriani with a little moment of magic I think once that kicked to the corner and went in. Have you seen the clip of Owen Farrell? No. Oh, the kick goes through from Danny Cipriani and Owen Farrell just throws up his arms and walks away from the ball. He thinks it's going out over the deadline. <laughs> yeah, no, it was nice. Like, there was just a couple of really, really good bits of play. Yeah. The match effectively meant nothing. South Africa won their series. 2-1, game over. Yeah. Um, Argentina-Scotland, so not a series, but Argentina, having been roundly beaten by Wales in the last two weeks, had a chance to restore a bit of pride as well. They would have been better off sending their under-20s out, to be perfectly honest. We're talking about teams who are peaking at the right time. Very much not. <laughs> no, like, is it the case of having the Hagoeris with one coach and then Argentina with another coach that's just really messing them up? For me, it's the fact that they're just the Hagoeris in a different jersey. There's no competition for places. And the one thing they have said is that they'll relax selection for this year because it's leading into the Rugby World Cup. So they're going to be able to pick non-Argentina-based players. Yeah. I think that's important. I think they actually just need a bit of fresh ideas and, and fresh talent coming in there. You it's, know? it's not like they have four teams in the country producing top quality players constantly. No, absolutely. There's no competition for places. If you're the starting 10 for the Aguares, you're the starting 10 for Argentina. And the same is true across the board. And yeah. that, that's just not good for development. No, and players do get complacent. Having said that, we're kind of doing a disservice to Scotland. They still won the match. They still put 40-plus points on Argentina. They they played well. They took their tries well. With a relatively youthful team. Yeah. I mean, it, definite you know, shoots of recovery there. And it'll be interesting to see, I think, particularly what their Six Nations squad looks like. But even coming into the November internationals, what type of team they're going to put out. Yeah. Horn played really well. And Bradbury had a really good game as well. I like him. I really think he's a good player. Like, for Scotland... I think over the series, they got what they wanted from it. They tested a lot of youth. Yes, they lost in America. But they're building a squad without care for results, 
Whereas Ireland are building a squad with care for results. Yeah, and I mean, again, look at who we were playing and who they were playing. I can see why that happened. Yeah. Um, speaking of the USA, went out and uh, put a pretty big number up against Canada, 42 points to 17. USA rugby is on the rise. It's in a good place. I know you hate the term Major League Rugby, but I think having that base now and as that improves can only help the America team going forward. It's good to see. Like, don't get me wrong, I don't know as many people called up just yet, but in a few seasons' time... You should be starting to see some players coming from that. I mean, that's the model that you'd like to think Argentina would be doing, having a couple of teams running a league, but obviously their involvement in Super Rugby just kind of rules that out. Yeah. Um, so that's all the rugby, really. There was, there was a couple of other games. I think Fiji lost to Tonga, Japan beat Georgia. But other than that, we're, uh, we're at the end of the season. Yeah, and it's time for our second-row top performer of the series. And I have picked, shockingly, James Ryan. He, he was immense. And you think about what this kid has achieved at the age of 21. And it's, uh, it doesn't make you feel great. <laughs> no, no. I, I'm 10 years older than him. And, you know, I work freelance as a TV editor. It's great. <laughs> but no, like, he's just incredible. Like, if you look across his stats across the full three matches, he was just immense. He tackled everything. And played every minute of all three games, I think. Yeah. Like, Leinster won't see much of him next season because of this. Very possibly. Um, certainly not at the start to be back but he he's for a player within a season to start um as a relative outsider and to now be like a nailed on starter for your national team considered in the same bracket as the likes of Johnny Sexton that's extraordinary that it's unheard of like imagine going from playing under 20s to kind of going like he's the next Brody Ritalik yeah and like and he could be better than it's it's extraordinary it's brilliant um i've gone a slightly different direction controversially I suppose I, I picked David Pocock I just think he's been in a, in, a, in a losing team two weeks in a row but he has been the standout player for Australia and he is everything good about what they do he's a brilliant character on and off the pitch but I just think his physicality some of the turnovers that he was getting even yesterday if you give him a half a second he's over the ball and even if you clear him out tough the ball is coming with him yeah because he does the thing that so many players don't do. He goes over the ball and he's actually trying to rip it back. This is it. Like, there's a lot of times that the effort of a jackaling player is just trying to make it look like they can't get the ball out. Pocock is going for the ball. He's taking it back. That's it. And that's a lesson for all back rows. When you go over for the ball, don't, like, he doesn't reach ahead to try and do that scramble back, give away a penalty. He goes in, gets the ball surgically. His elbows don't touch the ground and he's pulling that ball up the whole time it's brilliant um, he's, it's just been so good to watch him coming back having taken the year out of rugby um, he's just really enjoyable to watch and a pain to play against a nightmare <laughs> and yeah and we'll move on now to our second row crown the round yeah and for the week that was in it we, we, we'll take this one for the team uh, John Lacey uh, not like we said not the wrong decision but the wrong decision, decision. <laughs> you know like literally that type of blocking line you wouldn't see it in American football. It was perfect. Yeah. if, if you, it, you, It's crossing. It happens that you were the one doing it, but it's still crossing. Um, if it could be a penalty, if he could have yellow carded himself, then I'm sure he would have. And it's funny because you, you just have to think about what's the TMO doing? What's the ref doing? You've got to have a bit of... If that's Nigel Owens, then it's a scrum. Yeah, definitely. Just reset and go again. Like There's, there's no need to cost France seven points for effectively you can just go like, Lads, scrum. 
my bad. Yeah. So clown of the round for I think just not showing a bit of empathy there. Yeah, John Lacey. Once again, we're sorry. Like we are so sorry. <laughs> Right, that's us for this week, and seriously, what a way to round out the season. We'll have a few more episodes over the summer months covering some of the Sevens action and some special episodes looking back at how the Pro 14 unfolded this year. Yeah, and as we get closer to the next season kicking off, we'll be previewing the teams to see how it's going to play out. If there's anything in particular that you'd like to hear us cover, then let us know. Reach out on facebook.com forward slash the second row, or on Twitter where we're at the second row, and that's 2ND, not the word second. And if you're enjoying the podcast, remember, like, subscribe, generally spread the word. And remember, we're on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Acast, now on Google Podcasts, and most other Android podcast apps as well. Spotify users, we are working on it. We really are. I've emailed them twice now. (laughs) But seriously, I really appreciate your support. And until next time, take care and thank you very much for listening. Bye, everyone. Bye.